Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's give thanks. Father, we just want to praise you for your word. We want to thank you for all that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Um, Lord, we're in a really dark world, and you are a blazing light. You are 10,000 suns. And yet you say to us that we are the light of the world. You live in us and you live through us. Lord, may we penetrate the darkness with the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Teach us how to walk and to follow you in all circumstances. We love you. We give you your word. We lift it up. We ask that it would penetrate our hearts and that we would conform to your will as your sons and as your daughters. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So chapter 6, verses 5, just verse 5 right now, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Boy, what a, what a loaded passage, uh, especially uh, with, with our nation's history and with, uh, I think, just the world. I mean, there's just so many words in that that could go a thousand different ways. Amen? We've been seeing how the Lord would have us live out our lives as, as His children, how to live it out. In chapter 4, verse 1, we see in Ephesians, uh, Paul shifts from talking about who we are in Christ to what we do. And he says, now walk worthy of the calling that you have received. He spends the first three chapters saying, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. This is what He has done on your behalf. You are now his kid. You're redeemed. You've been chosen. And he goes off on this list. You were dead. You've been made alive. Now he's been created for good works. And he just goes on and on and on. And then he shifts of who you are. So you know your identity in Christ, who you are, your position in him. And now he tells you, now you've got to go play. Now you've got to go out there and live it out. You live out of your identity. And he's, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now I urge you, I beg you, I beseech you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so Paul spends time in chapters 4 and 5. And he says, this is how you're to live it out. And he talks about many different issues. And one of the main areas, which we've been talking about here the last week or two, actually, besides Christmas there, of our lives that we are to walk worthy of the calling is in our relationships in our families. Our relationships within our families. This is what God calls us into. And evidence of the Spirit of God working within our lives is going to be demonstrated in our relationships, in our families. In chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That there's to be this submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, if we're born again, there's going to be uh, evidence of that working out in submission to one another in our relationships. And how many of you know that that just comes naturally? <laughs> Me, especially. Yes. Well, the Lord has placed you in a relationship, in family relationships, and we know that, that there are so many different variations of how that looks and, and how the enemy has come in with sin and destroyed them. But first of all, our relationship is with Him. The very word relationship has the idea of how we relate to one another, what our roles are within that relationship. Does it not? It means you're relating to something, else, to something or someone else. How does that work? What's my position? What do I look like? Anybody of you have gotten a new job, which we'll be talking about soon, 
Uh, you want to know who you are. What's your position? What's your relation to your manager? Who are, what are you in charge of? What are you to do? Who, who, who is under you? Who is over you? What's your relationship? And our first relation, our primary, primary relationship is, is with the Lord. And we see the, the, this, uh, I think the best way to look at how relationships are to work is as we look at God. His personality, his relationship within the Trinity, within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As you look at the Lord, and I'm giving a very brief overview, please uh, forgive me for not going into great detail, but we see the Father who has all authority. It says the Father has all authority. And I know us people who believe in the Trinity, we go, okay, well, what does that mean? But he has all authority, amen. And yet we see the Son who submitted to the will of the Father. He, he humbled himself and lived out. Whatever the Father said is what he did. That is how he lived. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. And yet the Father gives him all authority. Isn't that an interesting thing? Jesus has all authority. The Father has all authority. Yet within their relationship, one is leading, one is following. Does that mean they're not equal? This is why I ask husbands and wives. So obviously, because your wife is submitted to you and following you, that she is not equal to you, right? No. <laughs> the answer is no, guys, okay? <laughs> Don't get in trouble. And we see the Spirit who is sent by the Father to testify of the Son. That's interesting. So the Holy Spirit is so behind the scenes in Scripture that you hardly even see the Scripture. Uh, you see this, the, 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 this Holy Spirit. He is so behind the scenes working, testifying of Jesus Christ, that you hardly even notice Him in many respects. And yet, the Bible teaches that each is fully God and each is co-equal. And yet there are roles within those relationships. That is the ultimate, and, and by the way, this is my, my description of that falls so short, so please just realize we're not getting to Theology 500 right now. But look at that. As the example of, of how relationships work, godly relationships, their relationship is one of submission, each with distinct roles, yet benefiting the other. They live for the benefit of the other. And our relationship with God is similar, is it not? Just as in the Trinity, there is a leader and a follower, so there are with us in our relationships. We put our faith in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean? He becomes convenient. He becomes an option. No, it becomes Lord. What does that mean I am? Lord number two? No, I become a servant of the Lord. He has lordship over my life. There's a relationship, and yet we become one. Does not mean we're God. He's still the I am. But we follow in the, his footsteps. His, he is calling the shots over our life. He rules over us by what he says. Amen? We put our faith in Christ. We willingly submit to his authority over our lives, yet we find that his authority blesses us. We benefit greatly, maximally, by his, his authority over life, which is love. That's awesome. How many of you like to be under loving leaders? Oh, yes, that is the ultimate. 
Jesus, he protects us, he blesses us, he leads us, he cleanses us. And the benefits go on and on and on and on under his protection, under his lordship. And we live to do his will, to make his plan go forward, just like Jesus did with the Father, right? And as we do, we experience great blessing. And so the Lord says the same roles and responsibilities that are to be in your relationships with one another. And so the Lord focuses on the family very quickly, reviewing verse 22 of chapter uh, 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So there's the person following, and now the husband, the leader, husbands. Verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so you have one submitted to the authority of the other, and the other one submitted to what is best for that person, laying down their lives that they might live, and they benefit each other. This is what happens uh, when a husband is, is deeply loving his wife, and a wife is submitted uh, to, and deeply submitted in, uh, to her husband, and this glorifies God. And the same thing with children and parents. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents, for this is right in the Lord. So we have the follower, and then we have what? The parents who are leading, correct? This is all about relationship to authority. How many of you are not under authority? We all are, no matter where we are, and that's the point. The ultimate authority is God. The authority of the fathers, of the parents, are to train and instruct their children. The children, their responsibility is to respond and to learn and to obey, to respect their parents. God gives very simple parameters, very straightforward parameters. This relationship brings glory to the Lord. And so with the context of family here, we're, we're to walk worthy of the calling we've received through submission and love to one another. Amen? We're all in one of these relationships. And now he goes to chapter 6, uh, verse 5, where it reads, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now, if you're like me, going, what does this have to do with family? What in the world are you talking about? The reality is that when Paul is writing this, his audience would most likely be in one of his relationships within the Roman Empire, who came and conquered everywhere and everything. Conquered Europe, conquered Asia Minor there, Turkey and all that area, Greece, and you look at the Mediterranean area and the, and the northern part of Africa. All conquered. And because most of these areas were conquered, most of the people in these areas were not Roman citizens and they did not have the rights of a Roman citizen. And you fell into different classes. And I don't want to get into a bunch of history right now, but many people fell into the slave class. That was a reality of the, of the world they lived in. That is just the way it was. And Paul, as he's, as he's going through all these places and bringing the gospel, people who are in these environments are coming to Jesus Christ, both slaves and masters. And Paul is speaking to these people when he says, slaves, obey your masters, and masters, treat your slaves well. He's not being a social justice warrior. That's not his main point. His main point is the world is evil. How do you live Christ-like within it? Now, let me be clear that he talks to uh, people like in 2 Corinthians, and he'll say in other places, hey, if you can get your freedom, get your freedom. He writes a whole book to Philemon, uh, about his, his slave Onesimus. And so there's just, there's a lot there, okay? He's, but his main point 
in this is when people come to Christ, now what do you do? How do you live that you're a Christian? Because you can't just say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm no longer going to be owned by you. See ya. It's just not happening. How do we live in an unjust world? How do we live in an unjust world? Our nation is changing, brothers and sisters. It's no longer a Christian nation. Values and morality and culture and and all these types of things are going to be forced upon us. How do you live as a Christian in an unjust world? In a godless world, in an ungodly world. People that don't respect your values, that are non-Christian. How do you live? How do you be that salt? How do you be that light? So Paul's speaking about slaves and masters here. He's not addressing whether slavery is right or wrong. Obviously, uh, part of uh, what Paul addresses is slave traders are part of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. We know John Wesley, we love that story of John Wesley, Amazing Grace, was a slave trader, was, was changed. And so we're, slavery is, is, is evil. God wants to bring liberty and freedom to people, but not in the American sense, in the biblical sense. But it is, he's answering the question, how do you live? as a slave or a master once you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so Paul would say things like, when you're a slave, when you were called, don't let it trouble you, although you can gain your freedom. If you can gain your freedom, do it. And he would write that letter, like I was talking to Philemon, whose slave Onesimus had taken off. Your slave takes off, you can kill him. And so how do, you, how do you, what's that relationship? And Paul uses his apostolic weight and talks to him and says, receive him and anything that he owes you, put it on my account. And you know you owe me everything. <laughs> so Paul's just saying, love this brother. He's a benefit. And so the reality is that many of Paul's listeners were either slaves or masters. And when they came to Christ. And now it's important to know real quickly that not all slaves were beaten and in chains. We live in an incredibly, uh, I I, I don't want this to come off wrong, but there are social nets that the world uh, did not have back then. You did not work, you did not eat, you did not live. And to be a slave in someone's household for many people was an incredible blessing because you and your family would have a place to live. You would have a place to work. You would have protection of that person over your, over your well-being. They would defend, you know, they would protect their property, so to speak. And I know that's just so foreign to us. But in that culture, imagine if you had no social justice, you had no safety nets, you had none of that stuff, and you were, and you and there was, there were no jobs around, and all that type of stuff, and you were just going to die, and you're trying to survive, and take care of your family, and then, uh, you know, you go, and, and you're part of a, a family on a ranch, or whatever it is, and you live there, and so when Paul's talking about in the context of family, this was the culture, and even in our culture, people would have ranch hands and all those types of things, right, where people would go live on people's property for long periods of time. This is nothing that's, uh, that's, that's uh, foreign to us. People weren't going, you know, saying, see you, honey, and going off to the office in the morning. That really wasn't the culture. It's very, uh, very rough, very difficult world. And this is Paul 
He put the slaves and the masters in the context of family because that's, that's what happened. You could conquer and your family would live with someone. And, 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 and a Roman who is a citizen would often have people like Luke the doctor in his house living there and people taking care of their, their property and their land and, and, and seamstress and doing the laundry and all this type of stuff. That was the reality of it, whether you like it or not. Amen? And because the terms slave and master were so common within the culture because that was what was going on, that was synonymous with employer-employee because that's how life worked. And so slaves and masters could mean actually literally slaves and masters because the word slave is doulos and, and, and the word master is lord. And it also could very much mean employer-employee because that was the culture. So things that were going on in the culture had other meanings as well. I don't want to get into all that. But even Jesus, he draws on this so many in so many of his parables because everyone was in one of these two roles, the parable of the talents. Remember the parable of talents? Who were the three people? What were they? They were servants. And what did they do? They took, they had responsibility over their master's property and they took it and one buried it, one invested it, and the other, and the Lord came back and, and had accountability over them. That, so oh, the parables, the parable of the wise servant, the waiting in the wiser servant in, in Luke 12, the parable of the master and the servant in Luke 17, the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, the parable of the shrewd manager or the servant in Luke, 7, in Luke 16, the workers in the vineyard in Luke 20. Jesus is, is drawing all these pictures out in this slave master thing because that's what everybody was involved with. So Jesus used these stories to communicate his truth because everybody related. And to us today, the application is not going to be slaves and masters, but rather employer-employees, and it's fine. And so how do we live out our calling as either an employer or employee? Let's just push through here. For Christians, uh, we are to act in our relationship and our roles fully dependent upon the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is how we're to view who we are and what we do with where we are. In other words, as we view our relationship with Jesus Christ, that determines how we act in our place of employment or what we are doing. And that's Paul's point. You're born again. You're a new creation. It's time to act out like Christ in these areas. And so he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And so as employees, the very first thing that Paul addresses here is to do what our earthly bosses tell us to do. Ready? Practical application. Get your notes out. Do what your boss tells you to do. How many of you find that difficult? Paul says, obey them, submit to them, just do what they say, just do it. I mean, how many of you parents know how frustrating that is? <laughs> Will you please be on time? Will you please brush your teeth? Will you please, you know what I mean? Just do what they say. Paul's just begging people. Submitting to the authority of your employer glorifies God. I've been on both sides of the situation, right? How many of you have been on both sides of this? You've had employees or employer, and you've been an employee. 
and you manage people, and you know what an extreme blessing it is when you have an employee who just does what you say. Isn't that awesome? I mean, be on time. Look presentable. Brush your teeth. I mean, just the simple thing. Smile. Do X, Y, and Z by such and such a time. And here's the great one. Do it the way I want you to do it. I mean, isn't that just like, oh, I've just lost myself. I can't do this job anymore. Just do it. Paul just hits it right on the head, the very first thing. What a blessing when people actually obey in that fashion. Now, obviously, we're not talking about being something that's illegal, right? Right? Does everybody know that? When your, parent, when your, when your boss tells you to, to lie about something, we don't do that, correct? That dishonors the Lord. There's a higher law. So we're not talking about that type of thing. But just do what they say. Amen? <laughs> In the normal realm of business, just do what our employers say. It can be extremely disruptive as an employer when you have a person who just does not do what you say. Instead of the energy being spent on what it is that we're all supposed to be doing, the employer has to take his energy and focus on you to try to get you in line when he's got all these other things, she's got all these other things trying to get these things in line. And, and you're just, uh, 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 and it's like, oh my gosh. And because of the wonderful laws we have, it's hard for them to actually enact discipline. As Christians, we should be totally different than the world. We should be an incredible blessing to our employers. And it begins by just doing what they say. How, how many of us go through the motions of obedience? Say, okay, I'll do what you say, but I'm you know, sitting down in my heart or whatever it is, right? <laughs> I'm not going to do it with a great, and you do it with a little attitude, and you flip the papers, and you go, there it is. And, and you just kind of let people know subtly that you're going to be compliant, but I'm not complying in my heart. Anybody? How many of you are that employee sometimes? Yeah. So Paul starts by saying, obey. But then he says, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart. Ouch. Ouch. You know, he's saying, you know, sometimes we have the tendency to go, oh, there's Mr. and Mrs. wants to report this way. Mm -hmm." You know, or whatever. Okay, well, you know, so-and-so. Paul says it isn't doing just what they say. It's the attitude in which we do it that glorifies God, that makes God happy. In our obedience to our employers is to be with respect and fear and sincerity. And Paul's just basically saying the same thing over and over and over. Respect means reverence, and fear means trembling, with fear and trembling. Who does that sound like you'd be serving? (laughs) And that's what he's getting at, as you serve the Lord Jesus, right? But reverence and fear, it, this reverence is deep respect and respect for authority. You see what this is, and, it's in the, and the, the picture is, is very similar to children obey your parents for this is right. You see that? Boy, there's so much there. You raise your kids to obey. You raise your kids to respect you. 
and there is no other option in your household, and you, that's love, by the way, and you have love, a lot of grace in there, they grew up to be awesome people in society and great blessings. But that's a side thing. We already did that. But sincerity of heart also. With reverence, respect, and sincerity of heart, what does that mean? It means without hypocrisy. It means wholeheartedness. Without hypocrisy. God wants us to respect our employees, to, to reverence their position because authority is from God, and to do what we do with wholeheartedness. We are to obey in this way because it is just as you would obey Christ. The way we are to submit and to obey our employers with respect and fear and wholeheartedness is the same way we serve Jesus Christ. Wow. So, wives, submit to your husbands the same way that you submit to Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives the same way you love Jesus Christ. Children, obey your parents the same way Jesus submitted to the Father. Fathers, love your children the, way, the same way the Father loves us. It all goes back to that relationship we have with the Lord. He is the model, amen? And then, I, you know, just real quickly, when Christians have a bad attitude at work, and I realize there's a lot of, I'm trying to find Christian words here, junk that goes on at church, just nasty stuff at church, and, and yeah, church at work, at work. Seriously, when we have bad attitudes, what we truly have is a lordship problem. We have a lordship problem. When we have that proper understanding that we are serving the Lord wherever we are, I tell you what, people can treat us horribly and we can still be light and salt in a very dark place, just as he was. In verse 6, it says, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you. Boy, how's that work out? Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, Paul's talking about. So if you're taking notes, there's another one. You've got obedience and how you do it with your attitude, with fear and and respect and wholeheartedness and, and he's saying not just don't just do it when they're looking at you to win favor at you so he's talking about integrity now we all seen it and perhaps done it there's a tendency within man towards hypocrisy in the workplace when the boss is watching you have your a game going on so that you stand out and they take notice and you gain favor favor with them as christians we're called to a high calling in the workplace we're to work the same way as if the boss were right there all the time be a blessing. Amen? That's hard. Same way we work with the Lord. Though we don't see Him, is He right here? Yes, He is. And we live like that. Because in reality, we're not there to seek the favor of man, and that's what people pleasers are. We're not there to be people pleasers. We're there to be God glorifiers, right? When people see us work with integrity, no matter who's watching, this is our witness. This is a great witness. Right? It's a witness. Colossians 3, 23-24, this parallels Paul's train of thought. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
You see, verse 6 there says, Obey, not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So God's will is for you to do your job wholeheartedly, no matter who's looking. Amen? Then he goes on, verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. The Lord gives us great incentives. The Lord gives us great incentives. He will reward each of us for whatever good we do, whether we're slave or free. Talking to the church, no matter what position you are in, do good. Be faithful to the Lord in it. As if he's right there. Work hard. Give him your best. Not only just your best with, with your body and your actions, but your heart. Pour your heart into your work. Amen? Now you can only imagine how difficult it must have been for a believer to be owned and to be a slave under a wicked master. And Paul is telling them, obey, not only obey, but obey with your heart and follow through and have integrity when they're looking and when they're not looking, you be consistent because you're the Lord's. Imagine how difficult that was. And Paul is talking in these circumstances. Paul, Paul says, regardless of your position, if you've got a really bad master, whether you're slave or free, God's going to reward you for what you do. Obey with respect and fear and sincerity of heart. You don't know my master, Paul. You don't know my master. Yes, I do. His name is Jesus Christ. You're his slave now. You've been bought with a price, and he will reward you when he comes. And so us actually living out this way is actually demonstrating our faith. Same for us. Some of you might be employed by pre-Christians, right? <laughs> Living in, de- in, the, in the sin and death and, and demonstrating that out to everybody else. Harsh circumstances, the way they manage, the way they communicate, they don't respect you, they don't value you. Anyone? The Lord is your master. You work for him and he will reward you. And this is not to say that we, if you're being abused or certain things, you don't have uh, grievances. That, that, that's not what I'm talking about. But in general, we're just going to be around non-believers and they aren't going to be all cozy and nice sometimes. Amen? We follow the Lord. We live in a, an unjust world. Are we going to cry what our rights are in every single circumstance like the rest of the world? Ah, it makes me sick. No, we're going to be serving the king, knowing that he will set all things right, trusting in him to work all things according to his will. Amen? And so really quickly, to recap the tendencies, because we're going to move on to employers real quickly. And, and, he, and he barely says anything to employers because there are more employees than employers, right? But he goes on and says, so really quickly, I uh, just wanted to recap the, the tendencies we have as employees. We have the tendency to be disobedient disrespectful, lack sincerity, lack integrity, be people pleasers, and and be half-hearted. There are six things there. That's not good. (laughs) Is that 
Any of you, any of you struggle with those things? This is 2,000 years ago. Think the Lord's nailing it on the head? Are you disobedient to your employer? Do you disrespect your employer in front or behind their back? Big stuff. Do you lack sincerity? Do you lack integrity? Are you a people pleaser? You just do it to get their attention when they're around you, or are you wholehearted, or are you half-hearted? Paul says that's the old life. That's not your new identity. That's not who you are anymore. You're now a king of kings and a lord of lords. You're a, you're a, a son and a daughter of the king of kings and the lord of lords. And, and now we walk in, our, in obedience, reverence, fear, sincerity, integrity. We are God pleasers and we're wholeheartedness. We're a blessing. Amen? And so, and we look forward to his reward. To his reward. All right. Now Paul turns to the masters. Let's just blow through this real quickly. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. And so with the same heart, God's saying, masters, masters are coming to the Lord, believe it or not. How, how do you treat, imagine this. You now were a master and you used to just thrash on your slaves and all this stuff and all of a sudden you found Jesus and you changed your heart. And now you're a new person in Christ Jesus. What do you do with all these families that you're responsible for who are disobedient, disrespectful, hypocritical, pleasing to their their face, backbiting, lazy, you know, half-hearted. I'm just saying, what do you do with this, with this, this group of people that you have where those things, those dynamics are going on sometimes? What do you do? If you have all authority, like fathers over children, what is our tendency? To threaten. To gain control, to pour out anger, whatever it might be. And so Paul, what does he say? The first thing, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. So just as slaves and employees have some pitfalls in the workplace, so do employers. And Paul points out two major ones, threats and favoritism. Threats and favoritism. Any of you have employees under you? The Lord would say to you, you are not to be threatening and you're not to show favoritism. You're not to be threatening and you're not to show favoritism. One of the tendencies for masters, employers, is to threaten and to control and to motivate and to manage people through threats. Now, to be clear, Paul is having to teach masters a new way of living. Employers, a new way of management, so to speak. And so when Paul is saying, do not threaten them, he's literally saying, do not threaten them. (laughs) Right? He's saying, don't threaten them. We go, oh, what do you mean threaten them? You know, like, oh, I'm going to dock your pay. No, it's like threatening their lives. The other time, two times that it's used in scriptures in Acts 4.29 where it says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. The threats were to kill them, the apostles. And then in Acts 9.1, it says, Meanwhile, uh, Saul, or Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats. So threats were like, not like, you know, little tiny things. They were like, I'm going to kill you and your family if you don't do what you're supposed to do. So don't threaten people anymore, Paul's saying, literally. Don't threaten them. That's not the way we do things. Fear is no longer the motivator, but rather love. And I can just see Paul saying, you have a tr- tremendous opportunity as an employer with your authority to show the power of the gospel by how you treat your slaves, your employees. 
it's an opportunity to shine Christ. Every place the Lord has, ha- has puts us is an opportunity to share the gospel and how we live and how we act by how we relate to one another. The same for us Christians, employers today. You don't manage through threats and fear. Now, I'm not saying that we don't put boundaries and consequences. That would be lunacy. It's okay to say, be on time or you're fired. But that's threatening. We're talking about verbally abusing people and going beyond normal uh, structure there. Employers, don't threaten your employees. Don't yell at them. Don't make them fear your very presence. Be gentle, be kind, be thoughtful. Treat them the way you want to be treated, the way the Lord treats you, amen? Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Keep in mind, masters, employers, that you have a master, and he is in heaven. He doesn't show favoritism. In other words, uh, you might be in a position of authority, but that does not impress God. That does not impress God. While he establishes order and authority on earth, make no mistake that each child of God is equally precious before him, no matter if you are a king or a slave. He does not show favoritism. He is just. Wow. I think that's awesome. And so that second tendency for employers to watch out for, and this is where we're closing, is favoritism. Treat people with respect. Promote people based on merit, not on favoritism. Boy, how many situations have, that just can be so disruptive. Be kind and truthful with people to their face. How many would you like that instead of learning from someone else why you got fired for a boss to actually sit down with you and talk to you face to face? These are the things that were going on. This is, these are the issues we faced and, and here they are. That's hard. That takes integrity. You know? But not showing favoritism. Don't talk behind their backs and then talk to other people when you're not talking about them. Don't talk about your employees behind their backs. Now, I understand you've got to work some things out so you know what to say and you know what to do. If that's your heart, that's okay. What do I do in this circumstance? I have this employee who's doing this and I don't know what to do. Or I want to do that. Is that wise? Or I want to say that. That's, these are okay things. So we're talking about maliciousness and, and well, I'm just going to create a paper trail on that person so I can't wait to put the axe on them. You know what I'm saying? We, want, we don't do that. Is that what the Lord does with us? Brothers and sisters, our work is our witness to the world. And this is a major mission field for many of us. If we're no different in the world than the workplace, how does that glorify God? But if we are different, if we are being a blessing as employers and employees, if we work hard, if we do what they say and how they say it with a great attitude, doesn't that make it easier to share Christ? <laughs> isn't that proof that Christ lives within us? If we work in a way that Jesus would be glorified, we're going to be rewarded, by the way. And we will be accomplishing God's will to proclaim the power of the gospel through changed lives. And same with employers. God has put you in a position of authority to represent his kingdom. That's what all authority is. God gives us authority to be a blessing. You think Jesus, uh, you think God put Joseph in a position of authority so that he could lord it over the people? So he could bring them life. So he could sustain their life and give them food in time of famine. 
God raised him up so that he wouldn't be prideful because he dealt with pride. That's why he had to spend a long time in prison, getting that pride out of his heart. And when that was gone, when he gave God the authority, when he recognized all authority came from God, then God took him from the prison, put him in the palace the next day. And it was from that point that he began to bless the nations. God has put you, employer, in a position to be a blessing. And you will be held accountable for it. <laughs> and you'll also be rewarded. And so, how do we treat our employees or those who work under us? With threats and favoritism or with love and impartiality? Amen? So, may God continue to teach us how to walk in this world where he's put us. And so, I just want to say in the very beginning, God created man and he put him in the garden and he said, man, tend the garden. Work has always been a part of God's plan for mankind. And Paul takes, uh, Paul takes that idea that we're all to be in work and he says, the reason why you're to be a work is you're, it's, it's a witness. It's a witness as you take care of what God has placed in your hands. And how we handle that and how we live and how we relate to one another and how we share is to be how God would do that. So when you are mistreated at work, make sure it's not because you're a fool. Make sure it's because you are right and good before the Lord, amen? You've got your heart on straight. Pray for your employer. Pray for the person you work for. You got a mean boss? Pray for them. Go bless them doubly. Work triple hard for them. Be a witness of God's grace. What does Jesus say when the Roman walks up to you and says, hey, pick up my stuff and take it for me with a mile because you're not a Roman citizen? What did Jesus say? Take it two miles. We are a take it two miles people. Amen? Take it two miles in your workplace. Not just one. We take it two. And we give God the glory for everything. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we want to love you by our actions. You say, if we love you, obey your commandments. And this is a commandment to love one another. So we want to we love you by demonstrating and what we do. And so by your spirit, Lord, where we have fallen short in these areas, forgive us. Please forgive us. And take us and change our hearts and let us be a blessing. Help us not to walk as the Gentiles do in that verse, lording it over. But let us be a great blessing to whoever we are maybe in charge of. May we model your grace and your kindness and your compassion. May we do what's best for others. And Lord, we trust you to provide for us. And Lord, it's with this heart we, we take our labor and, and we lay it before you daily. And we say, Lord, be, just be a witness through me in this place, this mission field that no one else is in. Shine your light and your glory through me to these people around me. And Lord, when I get persecuted, may I just put in front of me 
the lordship of Jesus Christ who will reward me. Bless your church this morning, Lord, as we go out from this place. Fill them with your joy and your spirit as we walk in obedience to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.